This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, everyone, I figured it's time for a little Holding Court update on uh, some thoughts on the Australian Open, which just completed, of course, last week and back home in New York, regrouping uh, jet jet lag without being on a jet you know from going to work basically at uh leaving for work at 7 8 9 p.m for the most part and then being done at the studio there at espn usually sometimes between 6 and 8 a.m you know sometimes a little bit earlier sometimes a touch later maybe one night i just worked from 12 to 4 but that was for the most part i was pretty much in for the long haul um, so it's definitely taken me a few days here to get my bearings. In fact, I've been waking up, uh, usually around four, four thirty in the morning, like totally wide awake, ready to call a match. So I texted my buddy, Brad Gilbert. He's of course he's wired all the time, but he's doing the same that by the way, 4 AM New York time generally, uh, is when we'd be calling the night match from Australia. So that's 8 PM in Australia. So we were just totally upside down. Uh, a lot of people asked me how it was. It was weird, uh, but because of the great job that our ESPN team did from a technology standpoint and from the great crew that was working, you know, the same hours as us. And by the way, the crew usually worked longer hours than we do because they got to get there uh, oftentimes before we do to prep and make sure the systems are all going and uh, so we had an amazing crew doing that. We had our research team that was spread out all across the world, in fact. Uh, so we would meet uh, every night, usually about 7.30 p.m., to uh, just do what we normally do when we're at the Grand Slams. We normally have a meeting. We all get together, talk about the matches of the day and the topics and any issues that could be going on, um, you know, off the court. So our team, were, they were all in different locations. They weren't allowed to come to Connecticut, only just the smallest number of people possible uh, could be there. A few of the announcers also stayed <clears throat> uh, at home for various reasons. James Blake was in California. My brother was at his place for the most part in New York. Uh, Cliff Drysdale was down in Texas uh, dealing with all they had to deal with. That was actually you know later in the tournament um, for what they were going through. So it was a, it was a, it was a, miracle i think of how well our team pulled it off you know i'm I'm particularly referring to the uh production team for all the hard work they did and i I think if you most people who are watching you know once they could didn't see us in the studio in connecticut you know in the espn studios which are incredible so they made us look pretty good with all the videos behind us and the great pictures coming straight from australia so that all that had to be coordinated coming directly live from Australia, um, you know, most people who were watching had no idea we weren't there. So that's a, 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 is a good sign from the broadcast perspective, a bad sign possibly for whether we'll actually ever be going back to Australia if ESPN continues to cover it, which we all hope we will. But the contract between ESPN and uh, Tennis Australia actually ended with this tournament. So they're negotiating and Hopefully for our sake, meaning our, us at ESPN, we'll be back doing it. If not, you'll be catching it somewhere else. So uh, just as far as the tournament goes, I mean, it was, uh, it was a hell of a tournament. Obviously, I'll start with the ladies. So Naomi Osaka, uh, you know, re-solidified herself, certainly as the top hardcourt player in the world. I mean, she hasn't done 
uh, much on the other surfaces when it comes to the majors. Uh, you would expect that will change in the future at Wimbledon with the type of power game and athleticism that she has. Although I don't think she'll be quite as good on grass because she likes that clean bounce, that pure bounce, and she's not very comfortable as of yet at the net. If you notice, she you know finishes most of her points from the baseline, which she does at the moment better than anyone else in the game. So she was awesome, handled herself as always with um, great class and dignity and in, in, in winning the title, beating Serena, of course, in the semifinals, which is a relatively straightforward win. Um, I wasn't that surprised by that win for Osaka because she just hits a big ball. She uh, can take the ball a little bit earlier at the moment than Serena more consistently and uh, hit a little bit bigger, really, off both wings. Serena obviously still hits the ball big and still serves great, but her movement, which was great in the earlier rounds and really good against Simona Halep when she took out Halep in the quarters, uh, it wasn't as good against Osaka because she takes the ball much earlier, hits it a lot bigger, um, and can go either way. So you could see that you know Serena's movement wasn't quite what it needed to be to stay with her. Uh, the serve was good, uh, but Osaka's serve is really good as well. And I thought that uh, you know it was a good run for Serena again, but obviously her expectations are, are to win, and so are they for most people who are fans of tennis or, or just sports fans. Well, when's Serena going to win? You know, is she going to win another one? I mean, she could. Uh, she's certainly not the favorite in every tournament she plays like she used to be, but she, if she can get to the finals, like she's done what, I guess three or four times since she gave birth and now get to a, you know, a couple of semis as she's done more recently, of course she can, she can win one, but, uh, if she runs into a younger player that's playing their best, uh, on that particular day, like, like Halep in the Wimbledon final a couple of years ago, um, like Osaka, obviously, uh, it's not going to be easy. I'm not going to say she can't do it because greatness is greatness. And uh, many people would still love to see her. I'd love to see her tie the record and break the record. But to me, it doesn't really matter as far as her place in the history of the game. So great tournament for Jennifer Brady. Again, solidifying herself. She moved up to uh, 13 in the world in the rankings. I think she'll go higher. Um, she's the real deal. I mean, great athlete, uh, competes hard. A uh, huge forehand and just, you know, can hit the ball big, especially off the forehand, but the backhand's gotten a lot better. And just her overall tennis IQ, I think, has gone up, you know, helped by getting fitter and being able to track more balls down. So Coco Goff, still a bit of a work in progress. I expect she'll, she's having a good tournament, actually, this week in Adelaide. The women's tour is still in Australia. Uh, beat Shelby Rogers in a tight three-setter. That was in the quarter, so... Coco's going to be fine. She's got amazing speed and athleticism. She's just got to clean up a few parts of the game, uh, the serve and the forehand, to be to be clear, and just her overall experience. But I don't I don't expect her to um, fall off in any way. I think she'll be just a little slower progression than you know people were thinking because she just burst onto the scene so young. She's only sixteen, by the way. So there's very few teenagers. Uh, making that kind of inroads in the women's game now. Swiatek, the young youngster from Poland, I think she's a real deal. And if she can corral her power game uh, moving forward and all the spin that she gets, she could be at the top of the women's game for a while. Uh, men's side, you know, I, I tweeted out and Instagrammed out before this, you know, any topics you people want to hear about, of course, my great producer at ESPN, Bobby Feller, says, you know, enough 
can can we stop writing off the uh, big three and the change into the guard? Which of course I you know I try to do before some majors just to uh, you know pump things up a little bit. I did actually think Medvedev had a real shot in that final, so I was disappointed in his in his mental performance in that match. I'm not you know I'm not, I, I don't really care who wins or loses. Uh, obviously, Djokovic was phenomenal. You know he is phenomenal. He's chasing. Nadal and Federer, and he's he's on their heels now, and he's looked, you know, the last couple matches, once he got back to me at 100%, he looked just unbeatable. And that surface, um, Carlos Silva from World Team Tennis, who's done a great job with that league, uh, tweeted me, what about the speed of the court? What do you think about that? I thought overall it was good, definitely quicker than it's ever been at the Australian Open. I think it, it takes away those grinding, grueling matches and rallies, particularly on the men's side, you know, in best of five. So I think that was part of the reason they went to quicker courts over the years. Uh, they maybe went just a little too quick this year. Um, I think that it, uh, you know, maybe give more of an advantage to the big hitter and the big server. I look at the, I mean, team came back against Kyrgios and then had, had nothing in the next match. So he was, Seemed to be a little off. Medvedev, if the court's a little slower, does he come out and play a little defense? I don't know. Um, but overall, I, was, I, I thought it was good. I mean, it, usually if a quicker court, I feel like it favors the player that can time the ball better, take the ball earlier, thus Osaka, thus Djokovic. I do feel that it made the women's game not quite as interesting because there was – there was more bang bang tennis. You didn't have some, you know, the rallies. Usually over the year, you know, the U.S. Open, they make the balls slightly different. They make the women's balls a little faster. They're a different ball, and the men's ball a little bit slower to speed up the women's game to make it a little quicker and to slightly slow down the men's game. I feel in this case it made the women's game maybe a, a little too quick that you didn't get into some of those those more extended rallies. But on the other hand. Um, I think overall it's better to have the matches not be grind-out type affairs. I mean, they're already going to be that anyway in some respects because the players don't come to the net as much as, as they used to. I mean, used to you know, way back when. Um, so overall, I think the, the surface was pretty good and certainly fair as far as who determined, you know, determine, helping determine who the best player. You can't argue against Osaka and Djokovic. Um, so I was disappointed in, in the fact that it didn't seem to me, and I thought going in that Medvedev would – would slow ball Djokovic a little bit early and try to send a message that he would be willing to grind with him. Didn't appear that he was looking to do that. I think maybe he just thought he was playing well enough his straight-up sort of game to beat Djokovic. And after the first set, it became apparent that that wasn't going to happen, even though he got that early break in the second where Djokovic sort of gave it to him. But after that, uh, when Djokovic broke back, I mean, Medvedev just went away mentally. So to me, that was surprising and disappointing that that happened. I thought he'd you know, to, to his, his, his ability to battle and to come up with different solutions, which is what we all were marvel, have been marveling at with him, was just not on display at all. And you go into a major final, particularly a final. It's, you know, obviously you've got Medvedev's beaten some great players in other tournaments. Team has beaten them in majors, you know, including Djokovic at the French, including Nadal at the Australian. But to do it in a major, very difficult, number one. To do it in the final of a major is a whole nother deal. And Medvedev just didn't seem to me to be really prepared mentally or physically to know that he's going to have to sort of go to the wall, you know, physically and mentally to beat 
one of these all-timers in in a, in a match like that. You know, if you're going to beat Nadal or Federer in the final. You know, there, there's been people that have picked Federer off at Wimbledon early. Wimbledon's a little different with the grass uh, than even clay or hardcore. But to do it in a final, because at that point you're going to get their best, their absolute best. So uh, Djokovic was absolutely awesome uh, getting through, you know, the injury that he had against Fritz and then managing that through Raonic and uh, Zverev in the next round, which was actually probably his toughest match, at least from a tennis standpoint and physically against Zverev. I know he won five against Fritz, but he was mailed in those middle two sets because he was injured. Um, so, you know, that goes down as a huge win for him. Uh, I think psychologically, you know, to deal with what he went through. Because he even said after he beat Fritz, that was one of the biggest wins of his career, you know, in the third round of a major. You wouldn't think Djokovic would say that. So uh, awesome performance. I think there are other questions going forward about the overall tennis season. I'm going to do another podcast on that shortly. But uh, for for this, we're going to leave it here with just some thoughts and recollections on this year's Australian Open. Uh, Karetsa, I've got to throw him a, a, a uh, a thought because uh, he was 114, like I was, by the way, when I made the semis of the Australian Open. I didn't come through the qualies. I got in the main draw. I was one of the last players to get in the main draw, by the way, that year in 91 when I was ranked 114. I made the semis. But for him to do what he did was awesome. He's, he's, he's got a little bigger upside than I did. He's got some serious game and firepower. So he went up to 42 in the rankings with that move to the uh, – I'm trying to remember what I moved to when I – reach the semis. I don't think I went that high, but maybe 50. I'd have to look it up. But I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed our coverage. As I said, full kudos to our team for the effort they put forth. We're all uh, recovering from the, from the uh, overnight hours. It was what, when, I could go to, when I could go to sleep, if it was still dark out, when I got back to my hotel room, because I stayed up in a hotel there uh, by ESPN because the hours are so crazy. It's only an hour and a half or so from my house, by the way. Um, then I could sleep. But a lot of times I came out of the studio, it was bright sunshine, you know, freezing cold, but in the morning, and then there was, I'd sleep, but on and off, and it, would, it just totally threw off the, uh, the time clock in the body. But uh, that's what uh, we tennis people are used to. By the way, I got a, un, I've been recording some podcasts for season two of Holding Court. I got some incredible guests that I've already recorded and then a few more lined up. So that's going to be coming out late March, early April with season two. I'm super excited about it, and I hope you are too. And I hope you enjoyed the uh, Aussie Open. Send me any uh, comments on Twitter or Instagram, any topics you'd like to discuss down the road, and we will get to it. All the best. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Mudhouse Media.